Welcome to the D-Spot Podcast. Dr. Dana McNeil is a licensed marriage and family therapist who specializes in working with couples using the Gottman Method. Her evidence-based practice provides support for the wide range of relationship issues that modern couples face. By using her open, affirming, and outside-of-the-box thinking, Dr. Dana is able to approach her work with couples by bringing both insights and tools that reflect the realities of today's complicated relationships. Dr. Dana features guests on her podcast that include a unique array of celebrities, CEOs, influencers, and everyday folks who are all working on navigating new conversations about how society views what goes into a successful relationship. And now, here's your host, Dr. Dana McNeil. Hello, welcome to the D-Spot Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Dana McNeil. This is a podcast about all things relationships and the people in them. And I love to bring people onto the podcast that I think are amazing and that have important things to share. And so Estella is going to be my guest today. Um, Estella is the owner of a group practice called Alba Center for Therapy, right? Did I say it correctly? I don't have as cool of an accent as you do. Hello, Estella. Thanks for being here. Dana, so excited to be here with you. So tell us the kind of therapy that you practice. That's always a good place to start because for people who are listening to it, who aren't in our world, who don't hang out with therapists for a living, right? Or for fun, there's confusion about, well, what do you mean? It's not just therapy. You guys practice different kinds of therapy. Yes. Yes, we do. What kind of therapy do you practice, Sweetness? Okay. So I am a certified Jungian analyst. And what that means is that I have a certification um, in Jungian psychology and our specialty is working with, with the unconscious, especially through dreams. So wow. that's the that I have. Um, Alba Center is a group practice that is focused on the Latinx community. So our specialty is working with first generations and how, and all of the, 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 um, amazing things that they bring to the community and all of the different things that they have to struggle with us first gens. Mm. So we've created a group that specializes in that. And in that we work with individuals, families, children, and couples. And you do so much and you bring so much to the community and it's such a wealth of like, I like to call it like the seven layer dip, right? You've got like this cultural piece, you've got the union piece, you've got helping people understand themselves as individuals so that they can be better partners. There's the me stuff and the we stuff, right? And so talk a little bit about, first let's talk about the Latinx part of this, right? Because that's who you identify with. We're really excited about your group practice. It's going to be such a, uh, Estella is across the hallway from me, so I'm a little biased. So I, I love that in our building, we have like this amazing experience in, under one roof. But so what was the, you know, what was calling you to start the group practice and why specifically were you wanting to bring all of these elements together? Well, I feel that we are, um, as Latinx people, we are in a unique time where the first generations, and I call first gens people that are crossing out of the Latino culture into okay. the American culture. So okay. you now have people that are um, that have had the ability to have an education, um, that have the ability to be in positions of power where the many of them find themselves alone. I'm the only person that looks like me in this group of people. Uh -huh. And that causes a lot of anxiety for a lot of people. So the birth of Alba Center was to find, to offer individuals that are first generations an opportunity to be able to 
feel understood about what that means and how that feels for them. And having an experience as first generation, my understanding is that you are doing a lot of like interpreting for your parents or like being speakers for your parents or being the representative in this culture that's not necessarily your culture and all of the pressure that you have to get it right and to be a good representative and to like do things perfectly because there's so much at, at risk and there's so much weight on their shoulders. Absolutely. And the perfect component is an interesting thing, right? Because for many of us, there's no role models. Mm. So this trying to do something perfect is trying to do something perfect with your eyes closed. Who are you comparing yourself then? So where, what does the perfect role model look like? It's not then within your culture, it's another culture and you don't have the same filters or the same expectations yet you're still judging yourself that you're not doing something perfectly. Absolutely. And the relation component always makes you feel different. So in this idea of trying to be perfect or be the first person that does something is very, um, it, it just, it, it's very difficult for people to have. So that's the challenge. And if you think of that in terms of relationship, you know, so what's the relationship that I have? You know, one of the reasons that I love um, Jung and talking about um, culture is that if you think of the of the psyche and the anatomy of the psyche, you have the you know you have consciousness, which is what the individual is conscious of, and then we have the personal unconscious, and then you have the cultural unconscious. So when you think about the culture component and how it narrows down to my point of consciousness, it's really important to acknowledge all of these things. So from from the Latinx community, because we are very relational wise and we're very connected to our families. Um, a lot of the, the ideas of having family and having and being an individual doesn't really jive with other ways of being. So it's almost like we don't, you know, I always tell people the word boundary doesn't translate into Spanish. It <laughs> doesn't exist. Because when we think about, you know, Spanish and Spanish culture, it's a collectivist society. Like it's the, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. Right. Absolutely. So you're already coming in with that filter that like my stuff is not important, mm -hmm. yet it's taking a toll on me. I probably know from Western culture influences that I need to do self-care or that I need to be aware of what's being depleted from me so that I can give back to the collective. Yes. So something gets trapped in there that you need to help process. Right. What is the right thing to do for you taking everybody else into consideration? Absolutely. And if you think about what self-care means, there's self-care is, is something that Latinx um, people struggle with because it feels very selfish. Mm. And the majority of people, when you look at the family history, are, you know, parent, are children of immigrants that work really hard. And, can, you know, I, I always think about this, right? I mean, it, it is a right in the United States, the pursuit of happiness. A lot of people that come from other places in the world, and I'm speaking of Latin America in particular, people come with the with the idea of surviving and that's the goal so the next generation who now is able to think of happiness has a very hard time reconciling the the way of surviving with this way of happiness so a lot of the work that i do with young people is they'll come in and they'll say i want my mom to be happy and yeah. it's not like the mom doesn't want to be happy but that's not her goal 
her goal was for her and for her children to have a better opportunity than they had. And that's the family difficulty that a lot of first gens have. So when you think of self-care, it's almost like, how can I take care of myself when my mom and my aunts and the people, you know, the feminine energy in my family doesn't know how to do that. So if I do it, then I'm being very selfish. And how that creates guilt, guilt and shame for you doing self-care, which is the whole message that you're getting in the current culture that you find yourself trying to acclimate to. Absolutely. And if you're not taking care of yourself, then there's something wrong with you. So that's the, that's the whole and the tension of the opposites that a lot of first gens have in this topic of self-care, for example. Pursuing higher education is another thing. Why would you need to do that? Was the other one, did that didn't work? So why would you want to do this other thing? So being the first and breaking out of the cultural norms that have been established is tough. It's a hard thing to do. How does that impact you as a couple then if one of you is not in the same space one of you is like yeah I got to start doing self-care and you're with a partner that's still kind of viewing things from a little bit in the farther back in the rear view mirror of like you know how do we get on board with each other well and it's interesting right I mean it's interesting because there is the bicultural couples there is the Within a couple that are both Latinos, that doesn't mean that they're both on the same level of acculturation. Mm-hmm. So a lot of times when you're a couple, it's interesting to think, well, I always think of people like, like for example, for myself, if you ask me, Sal, where are you from? I will tell you I'm from the border because part of my roots are in Mexico and the other part of the roots are here. So we, we use that analogy to think of partners. It's interesting from a couple perspective to try to figure out how much of someone's root is where. Mm. A way to try to understand and have an Archimedean point of understanding culture. And then we can start talking about the culture of these two people and how their culture is impacting the way they see relationships. So self-care for someone might be something that I need to do to survive. And for another person might mean super selfish. Why would you do that? You're not taking care of you. If you are a mom and you want to take a day off, that might be seen as very selfish. And at the same time, you know, there are, you know, a lot of, uh, when we think of self-care also, I always try to think about, there is a lot of, the other day I was at a, at a restaurant having lunch with my husband and I was looking at this family um, and this Latino family had a caretaker for the baby. Mm. So there is the other extreme too, right? The component of a lot of privilege and that a lot of the first generations um, also include that. So us as clinicians, we always try, we need to be aware of the duality of what this culture is and the amount of privilege that some people have that sometimes surpasses the privilege that I have here. I didn't have caretakers full-time taking care of my kids when I was a mom. So it's safe to say then that I, as you know, a Caucasian therapist, shouldn't make an assumption that if I work with Latinx clients, that they're coming in wanting self-care and wanting to set boundaries and wanting to like do all the things that represent who I am, right? And the mm-hmm. culture that I grew up in and that I identify with, that I, we as clinicians need to do a better job making sure that that's your goal, that that's where you're at, that that even resonates with you. Because if if they're saying like, yes, 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 that that that's what I, I agree with, because that's the expectation and they want to appear as perfect. 
right? Or that they're doing it correctly. They might give me the impression that they have the same goals as I do. And I'm not even going to ever address the guilt and shame that's happening for them about the conflict around it. Is that? Absolutely. And also to try to think that self-care might look very different for them. Mm. Self-care might be going to their grandma's home and, and cleaning it. Mm. You know, that self-care can have a, a completely different, um, a, a completely different view, you know, self-care um, for a lot of Latinos is connected to the heart. So, so care, giving of oneself with care. Absolutely. That's a, a better way to think about it. That that, even though you would say, why would you want to give your Sunday up? Because that's self-care for I could totally person. get that because my grandma would make me something good. Words. I told Totally. Totally. So how um, often or is it like socially acceptable then to talk about our relationship status? Is that something that if I identify with Latinx culture that I'm going to be like, hey, we need to work on our relationship? Like, is there like an awareness that like it's we want to go to couples therapy and this is something that we should do for the betterment of our relationship? What's your experience? I think so. I think that a lot of times, you know, that when we think about is it do Latinos come to therapy? Yes, they do. Um, and I think that there is a much more awareness of this, right? And I think that the, you know, the old way of thinking, to put it that way, um, involves ideas of, you know, well, nobody, it's, it's almost like a betrayal to talk about your family um, mm. outside of the family, right? So that's a taboo that, that people have to go through. I think that um, Latinx people are, get very excited to learn new things. So thinking of couples therapy as a place that you're going to learn skills that are going to help you communicate better is something that people really appreciate mm. and that are very open to it. Um, I also think that, you know, that as clinicians, we become part of the family system. You know, people will tell you, 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 you remind me, they tell me all the time, well, you remind me of my aunt. I'm kind of like, so we become part of the family system. Okay. And I think that that's, but I think that, that, Absolutely, that people are, are starting to recognize in the Latinx community, people are understanding that there is this thing called generational trauma, that there are unhealthy patterns of behavior, that there are better ways of communicating, that we have a, a need for intimacy. And I think um, they're starting to be much more open to therapy and to couples therapy too. I just like what you just sparked though, that there like is a word for therapists who might be listening to this, this sort of approach that we have about therapy where we, a lot of times is the default. Well, you didn't know any better. Your parents taught you that. Mm -hmm. Right. And so we Caucasian clinicians think, well, we're normalizing the experience that your parents handed something down to you. And if we work with a different culture, that culture might hear that as an insult and be shut down to the information that we have. If we can approach it more from like, here's a new skill. I don't necessarily know how you got here. I don't necessarily need to like bring up something that could be troubling or a trigger for you or make you feel defensive or loyal where you can't even hear the message. Can we just approach it from the space of here's the new information. Here's a new tool. You want to hang a picture on the wall. You got to get a hammer. You've been using a screwdriver. This is why it's not working for you. Versus exactly. like, well, your parents didn't know what they were doing because exactly. that's a different message. And I think, I wonder if because Latinos are in this duality of this doubleness on in so many areas of their experience, I wonder if there is a natural um, 
openness to learning new things and not wanting to do what 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 your parents did mm. because they have functioned in checking it and seeing if that works mm. in being open to learning something new just like language right yeah, yeah. Um, you want to survive you have to speak english you have to be able to get also this idea of being open to something new is also part of i would say of the latino dna right now God, awesome. This is, I mean, this is rich. Thank you. Thank you for this. Okay. So segueing to something that you and I talked about before we started this, because of course we were chit-chatting like we do. (laughs) You said that you could talk a little bit about how we might interpret a dream if I'm having my best night life of sleep and I start dreaming about an ex and maybe I wake up and it was very vivid and I'm feeling guilty about it. My partner's laying right next to me. What's going on from your perspective? What what does that mean? What should I be concerned about? Should I be concerned about anything? I love that question, right? I mean, as a, as a, as a dream analyst, it's, it's super common for people to say that. And most people will say, I feel awful. Like, mm. awful. What does that mean? They, we immediately start questioning our objective life, right? my relationship with this new person and what does it mean that I'm having an intimate moment from someone from my past so the first thing to think about is in our dream world all of the entities that are occupying that are aspects of ourselves so if you think about having a dream with with an ex the first thing that we need to think about is well what part of me is projected onto this other part and why this moment in time is that part and I I mean let's say that it was a romantic dream why am I in bed with someone what aspect of myself is finally getting in bed together why is that part coming together or if I'm fighting with my ex well what part of me am I fighting with that carries the other in me wow that's why it's they're fabulous to start thinking about it and the first thing that I do is I would ask people describe this other person to me and then we start getting an idea of what part of you lives in there. So you're projecting onto exactly. it. So it's kind of like if you think about it as a projection of the other. Oh. And that's how we start getting to know each other, right? Or ourselves. We get to know ourselves through relationships. We project onto another person aspects of who we are. So in a way of, you know, the goal of union analysis is to become a whole individual. Well, in order to become whole, we need to figure out the pieces of us. And the best way to get to know these pieces is through our dreams and who that part in us is. The good parts, the bad parts, the ugly parts, all of these things. Can we manage what we want to dream about? Let's just say that I'm having some difficulties with my partner and I want to try to hold them in more of a positive perspective and knowing that dreams are so influential and they project the way that I feel about myself, projecting some comfort onto my partner. Could I like convince myself to have a positive dream about my partner before I go to sleep and it like wakes up and we're doing good? Like, is that a thing? Well, you know, the beautiful part about dreams is that the ego, you do not control your dreams. You will never be able to say that. And at the same time, the more, um, I guess, spiritual thing that you can do is form a relationship with the unconscious because the unconscious always wants to support you. So there are times when I go to sleep and I say, okay, I need a dream about this. Now, that dream that I get might not be what I wanted. 
but it's always guiding. The, the whole purpose of working with your dreams is to create a relationship with the unconscious because working with the unconscious, when you create, a, the, the unconscious responds to you. I mean, think about ancient cultures. Ancient cultures, the, you know, had a strong relationship with the unconscious. People would have dreams that would guide their lives. Mm-hmm. Um, so think about that. That's, that's part of the, of the, if we were to think of the personal, the cultural and the ancient psyche, well, that's been a practice that's been practiced forever. And that still applies to us today. So if I, by that token, if I have a question about my relationship, I could say, I'm going to ask my dream to help me get some clarity or to yes. get some new information or to see it in a different way. Absolutely. That's like, a more realistic way to ask for your Exactly. Dreams. Like, I'm, you know, I, want, I need guidance in this part of my life. And then it's interesting to you. And most people say, well, I don't remember my dreams. And I say, well, the moment you start paying attention to your dreams, dreams respond. And even if you wake up and say, well, I don't know, I had a dream and there was an orange. Okay, so record that. Write it down. Color it. Draw it. Pay attention. The moment you, it's almost like you think about a part of us that we've neglected or we think doesn't exist or is not important. Mm-hmm. The moment you start paying attention to it, it gets super happy. So we'll say, oh, finally, you're paying attention to me. And that's how our relationship gets created with the unconscious. So you can train yourself to have an outcome of a dream. You can't control the content of it. You can't control when it happened. You can't control the symbols that you're going to receive, but your intentions about why you want to have them is something you can have influence on. Absolutely. That's where the conscious part of us can make a commitment beautiful you're awesome i could like literally talk to you all day and i always am coming across the hallway okay so my last question for you because i know you have a life outside of me um what is your definition in a relationship of commitment Mm, the willingness to not give up well you just got it on like that you're that's the fastest answer i ever got you're like "Mm -hmm, i already was waiting for this one and i swear i didn't tell you okay I like that. I mean, to me, I think that when people come to, you know, when, when I'm working with couples, the commitment, you know, that's something we, we measure, right? What's your commitment in this relationship? How committed you are. And I feel that, and at least this is my experience in my personal life and as a professional, commitment is our ability to keep going. You know, difficulties will happen in relationships. That's what relationships are all about. Um, the commitment to ourselves is to be committed to figuring it out. I love that. I mean, I just keep asking this question because in my experience, we all as individuals who get into relationships have expectations about what that individual concept means to us. And we never Mm -hmm. have a conversation with our partner about it. And if we would have those earlier, we could get so much more clarity. So it's just kind of this thing that I've been doing since I started the podcast, just kind of getting every, because it's like, what do you mean? Huh? It's just like a, it's just a concept that everybody thinks they understand. It's kind mm-hmm. of like saying, what is happiness to you? Right. right. So right. what's your depth? What behaviors would you be doing? What words would you be saying? How would you be treating yourself or your partner? So it's just, there was no wrong answer, but you got it perfect. Well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So if anybody wants to find you and learn more about what you do or your practice, how would they find you love? Our website is Alba, A-L-B-A um, dot center dot com and you can google me Estela Bobadilla and that's also a way to get a hold of us 
I am so grateful to know you. It's been such a bright spot in my life of living in that building, getting to know you. The day I met you, I was like, oh my God, I have a friend here. Thank God. So I feel the same way with you. (laughs) Thank you for all you do, love. I adore you. And I'm so glad I got a little bit of your time. Same here. And I'll see you soon. Bye. Bye. This has been the D-Spot Podcast with Dr. Dana McNeil. To learn more about Dr. Dana's practice, simply visit us at www.danamcneil.com.